Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you're doing well. Today, I'm talking to Michael James Wong, who is a leading voice in the global movement for modern mindfulness. He's a community activist, a yoga and meditation teacher, a speaker and author. And we get into a really interesting conversation about how to overcome the challenges that we have with meditation, because I know as much as anyone how challenging meditation can be. And Michael really is an expert in this area. We talk about the importance of community and Michael has built an incredible community. He shares, you know, how he did that and why it's so important to him. We talk about men and mental health. We also get into his practical advice and tools for things that we can do at home to help our mental health. So if you would like to be a calmer, happier and more confident person, I have a lot of free resources for you that I'd love to send you to help you to feel more in control and to take another step towards being your karma self. So if you want to get those freebies, you can head over to my website, karmayou.com forward slash free and enter your email address there. And then I will send you all of those goodies straight into your inbox. So let's get into the interview with Michael. This episode is sponsored by my favourite activewear brand, Sweaty Betty. Their all-female design team source the best technical fabrics, which means their products perform under the toughest conditions and feel amazing on your skin. All products are also wearer trialled by female staff to ensure they perform and flatter and fit the female body. If the staff don't love it, it doesn't get made. There are so many activewear brands to shop from, but Sweaty Betty is special because all their products from run and yoga to swim and ski are engineered to last. This is not fast fashion, it's high quality. And I have several pieces from Sweaty Betty that I've had for years and I continue to wear and love. Sweaty Betty now has a host of sustainable products, including their Super Sculpt leggings made from post-consumer plastic bottles. Their Italian fleece has been replaced with a recycled cotton blend alternative and they are reducing the amount of consumer packaging sent to customers. Sweaty Betty are offering listeners 20% off when you enter the promo code KARMAYOU on their website. You'll also find the link in the show notes. So 20% off at Sweaty Betty when you enter the code KARMAYOU. That's C-A-L-M-E-R-Y-O-U. Check out their stuff. I think you're going to love it. 
Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to, to speaking to you. Um, how are you? How are you? How are you doing right now? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm good in all sense of the word, as good as we can be. Um, you know, I, I'm at home right now, as you can kind of see, obviously, from, from the room I'm in. Um, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of having, you know, a, you know, a bit of quiet time at home, but also kind of, you know, just as always riding the waves of, of ups and downs. Some days are busier, some days are quieter, and, you know, just kind of taking it one day at a time right now. Yeah, I think that's the thing that a lot of people are saying, just taking things one day at a time. And, and for people listening, we're recording this just at the end of March. I think this is going to come out in a few weeks' time. Um, so, yeah, so we're all just adjusting right now to this new kind of way of being at home. But can you share a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I always like to start that I, I kind of, I'm, I'm a... I'm a I'm a person from, from many places. I was originally born in New Zealand, grew up in Los Angeles, and uh, I've now lived in the UK for probably the last eight or nine years. And, and for me, a lot of the work that I do and a lot of the, the communities I sit within are really just about, um, you know, having a chance to, to celebrate quieter practices. I mean, I, I came from the, the, let's call it the, the fast and busy world of LA, which seemingly is, is far crazier than most other places in the world, especially to grow up. And so for me, I had always grown up around in a culture of what it means to be busy, successful, winning. And it was always a place for me where I was always kind of, you know, judged by my output. And I think over the last, especially over the last kind of two decades or, you know, last kind of 10 to 15 years it was really about, uh, for me, what actually was important to me rather than maybe what I was told was important. And, um, you know, these days I spend a lot more time, um, you know, in, in, in a focus towards well-being. You know, my work is really focused around teaching mindfulness, meditation, do a lot of writing, do a lot of sharing. But it's really ultimately about uh, building communities, giving people a sense of connection and, and hopefully a sense of maybe real world relevance on maybe how a lot of these practices can actually be um, implemented and, and, and kind of put into our everyday lives. I think that's such an important point that it sometimes does need a bit of translation from the the theory of meditation, for example, to actually how do we how do we even do that in our yeah. fast paced world? Um, I really wanted to ask you a bit more about meditation. Um, why why meditation? Why why did you start it start sort of teaching it? And um, what are some of the benefits for for meditation? Yeah, I mean, meditation as a practice for me was not something that 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 came naturally, right? It wasn't something that kind of I didn't I didn't grow up in a in a household where kind of we were all meditating as kids. I actually grew up in a very normal everyday LA lifestyle. You go to school, you play sports, you go out, all these kind of things. But I think maybe for me, what I found over the years growing up, and even before I found the practice of meditation, was was how busy life can be and how swept up we can be and actually how we can actually have uh, an easy disconnection with the world around us or with the people around us because we're really busy lost in our heads we're always on a timeline we're always on a deadline and so for me I actually found meditation um, you know some would say earlier some would say later in my life you know kind of around my early 20s and it was more about uh, it was uh, an opportunity to, to try anything 
that was going to help kind of the, the current state of chaos that I was living in. You know, my life was very fast. I, I kind of was running on kind of full steam anyway from kind of, let's say, 7 a.m. To, to 10 p.m. every night. So I found meditation as maybe a, uh, an opportunity to, to see if there was something else that worked. And, um, you know, I was very lucky to, to live in Los Angeles at the time where the communities uh, were quite strong with yoga and meditation. And I just had a chance to, to try. And for me, it just gave me a sense of space, right? It, it was, it was difficult when I started, right? The busyness, but it actually, there was something that really, um, made me feel as opposed to just think about every situation and conversation that I was in. I think that's a, a good, a good thing to, to mention that actually very often meditation isn't easy at first, that no. it's not, um, we're not going to be amazing at it. If you can be, you know, quote unquote, amazing at meditation, but actually you, you said that you weren't a natural meditator. It wasn't something that you'd grown up with that you'd come from this very busy, fast paced life and actually being able to meditate was sort of challenging at first. And I think when I speak to people about meditation, that comes up a lot about people telling themselves, I just can't meditate. It's not for me. I can't sit still. I heard someone say just today, actually, that, that meditation just feels like a chore. You know, I have to yeah. take it off my to-do list. <clears throat> what do you say to people who maybe know that it would be helpful to, to get that space and, and that, that quietness, but actually they've got all these barriers or they don't think it's for them or they feel like it's a chore? How, how do you help people get over those things? Well, I think what's really interesting right now, and I think it's worth giving a lot of credit to maybe how conversations and communities and, and societies have moved on. I think, you know, and I'm going to say, it, I think most people now realize and appreciate that meditation is valuable and can be beneficial for our lives. But the challenge is actually doing it or sitting down to make time for it or seeing the value in the practice. And what's really unique about meditation, which is counterintuitive to Western society, is that the, that the sense of accomplishment is actually the most challenging part of meditation, right? This, this as you said, this, this need, as our Western psychology says, if I'm doing something, I need to do it well, I need to be good at it, I need to do it in the right order or the right efficiency. So we have already in our brains this psychology that says, okay, Anything I do, I need to win at or I need to be good at. And meditation is the complete adverse to that. Right? The practice of meditation is the ability in which we can move away from the thinking mind to process the externalization or the busyness and move away from a sense of accomplishment or action. And so meditation becomes a really uh, tricky thing to start for some people because you first have to, to break the, the pattern of needing to achieve. And so a lot of times with meditation, it's establishing not only the understanding of the benefit, which I think we're at now, but also uh, starting to establish techniques that are valuable or just understanding actually um, the simple methods or the effortlessness or how to use your attention so that the meditation practice has value as opposed to just sit down, close your eyes, and I hope something happens in a good way. Mm, that's really interesting, isn't it? I remember when I started meditating and it didn't click for me until I really started to notice the benefits of it working. I think after several weeks of practicing every day, I kind of knew on a theoretical level that it was good, but actually once I realized the effect it had on my life, then it became much more motivating to keep it going. And I wonder if some people need to have that taste of 
the benefits or they can really stick to it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the, the challenging thing, especially with this kind of Western intellect, is that we oftentimes think that by uh, understanding it intellectually that we can make these shifts but oftentimes when you first experience it or see the value of the time through the experience, that's when the shifts happen, right? It's kind of like the first time you brushed your teeth, it probably wasn't the most profound thing in the world, but you know, you do it with a bit of regularity. And after a few weeks or months, you almost not only see the value, but you also appreciate how it makes you feel. And also even more, hopefully how you feel when you don't do it, which then really the light bulb switches on and go, Oh, this is actually quite a valuable thing for my life. That's a really, that's a really good point. I've, I've noticed that myself a lot as well about it's fine if I miss it every now and again, but if I miss it for a week, then things start to not go quite yeah. as well. It's like so imagine I'm, if you didn't brush your teeth for a week. You'd yes. Notice. Doesn't bear thinking about, does it? And I suppose just like brushing your teeth, do, do you think it becomes like a habit that you just don't think about and becomes part of your life the more regularly you do it in that same way as brushing our teeth? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I really am a big believer of um, creating positive uh, routines, right? I think habits sometimes can have a negative connotation of a chore that needs to be done and you do it enough, then you just kind of by default take the rubbish out. But kind of if we create positive routines or create a sense of ritualization to it, it actually creates a sense of positivity, a positive outlook to it, but also a sense of insight that we get from it, which I think is really important as we look at practices like this that start to establish a long-term well-being, is seeing it from both a positive point of view, but also to your very point is starting to notice the benefits after the fact. So the insights that we gain from the practices. And in terms of how often and how much, can you share a bit about your practice? And is there something that you suggest for people who are getting started, if they're gonna do some meditation, what, what that might look like? Absolutely. Now, meditation as a whole is is quite a large conversation, right? It's the same way as if you took any discipline, whether it's sport or an art. You know, it's like saying with dance, how do you start dancing? The same with meditation. It's not it's not a one style, one one type, one one trick pony. And I think it's really good to recognize that I mean, there are many different styles and types of meditation um, that kind of can can suit a different practice. For me, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of uh, what we would call like a being meditation or a stillness-based meditation. Um, and you'd, you'd see these quite similarly along the lines of things like Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation, if you've heard of these. I myself am a Vedic meditation practitioner. <clears throat> and what that really means, it's about cultivating a sense of space and cultivating a sense of feeling and allowing an effortless of a technique, which we use a mantra to help uh, narrow the mind into something a bit quieter. Now for what we do with uh, these days as, as a teacher, it's really again about translating it into the real world and starting to pull away the things that maybe aren't as necessary to help amplify the the points of conversation that help people really see the value. And that's kind of making it really secular in conversation, really real world and relevant, and just making it about uh, value and making it about uh, experiential kind of moments as opposed to the intellectualization or the, um, you know, the, the uh, I guess the esoteric nature of some of the, the language or literature. And so to your second point, you know, the way the meditation works and the styles that, that I practice and teach, it's really about keeping it short and really about making it powerful and effective. So 20 minutes is all, is all you really need. A focused 20 minutes twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. I, I tend to like to talk about it in the sense of the two times of your day when you think you need coffee, that's when you do meditation. 
love that. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's quite nice to, to start and end the day with that because maybe at the end of the day, you can be switching off from your work. You can be changing mode, you know, particularly with so many of us working from home right now to have a bit of a, a delineation between the, the, the day and the evening is quite a nice thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Using the practice transition, it, it can be really valuable. It gives you both a, a, a mental shift, but also kind of a, you know, a whole kind of lifestyle switch. Mm, definitely. I really wanted to ask you about your um, events, uh, Just Breathe. Can you share a bit about what that's about and um, your experience of running that and what you've learned from that? Absolutely. So Just Breathe is an organization that that, uh, that I run that we started a few years ago, which is really focused on a few components about building community. Uh, primarily, it's about building community through events. So events, uh, whether they're small events or large events, and I think over the past I want to say three years or so, we've been very lucky to, to have really intimate monthly gatherings where we have a chance to come together. But even more remarkably, we've had really big moments of uh, an intersection between culture and community uh, with mindfulness at the core of it. And what that really looks like is large mass meditations in public iconic places uh, around the country and around the world um, where we bring you know 500 a thousand people together to have an evening of quiet as we would call it right an evening of community and connection and we've hosted them before at places like the Tate Turbine Hall inside the British Museum and the Great Court uh, the top of the shard uh, you know the Museum of the home in, in East London but also I've had different moments and opportunities around the world in New York and Stockholm and Berlin uh, and Australia to actually create these moments where people feel like they're uh, together in a sense of community at scale, but also in a really mindful, calm, and intimate way. So they're really special events, and we hear elements of music and art and dance and spoken word and uh, small community conversations so people can start to see what meditation mindfulness is through the lens of, of maybe how it looks in the real world with people that look just like them, that people they hang out with. It's, it's people who, you know, just come straight from their offices, come straight from, you know, work, come with the family. It's, it's, we always say like a, a cross section of, uh, you know, of everyday life coming together with an appreciation to do less. That's an incredible thing. I imagine the, the energy in the room meditating with a thousand people must be quite, a thing because you can actually I've heard feel feel the kind of mass I don't know if it's like the collective consciousness of bringing a group of people together and meditating yeah. can you feel can you feel like the good vibes oh, yeah. in the room yeah you can absolutely you feel the good vibes and you know there's this sense of collective consciousness as you said or the palpability of everyone kind of quietening down you know it's the same way as you might kind of feel that hush before like a concert or you might feel that sense of quiet at a really important uh meeting or conference that you're at there is this sense of you know as human beings we we emanate a sense of energy and we emanate a sense of vibration and what that means in scales that you know if everyone is in the same mindset or in similar mindset and everyone's uh, moving towards a quieter place and has the intention to move to a quieter place there's almost like uh, a ripple of of, of of connection that is built throughout a room like that and when you have it with 500 or a thousand people it's really really special and really really powerful 
How amazing. How amazing. You, you mentioned the community aspect of those um, gatherings. I'm hearing so much about community now. And I think we're, we're all acknowledging that actually this is something that we need as human beings and that actually it's so beneficial for our mental health. What have you learned about community through the work that you do? I absolutely agree. I mean, community is at the essence of our humanity. It's the essence of our health and well-being. It's a big aspect of our, our mental health and keeping that that well. This this sense of human connection, right? Connection of similarity, connection of feeling like we belong to something that's bigger than ourselves, and, and a sense of being a part of something where um, we are appreciated for who we are, not just what we do. And that is, uh, in many ways, the, the, the definition of community people coming together as one, right? The, the commune of unity, right? The community. And, and it really is now more than ever conversationally something that people are really appreciating. And I think, you know, it, it's not a new topic. You know, it goes back for as long as human existence, the need for tribes and families and sports teams and, you know, art school groups, all these sense of places where people feel like they belong, they feel like they're seen, they feel like they uh, are contributing and also see and feel like they're, they're validated for, for just being themselves. So community right now very much is at the core of maybe this, this wellness revolution, I think, as we move forward um, into kind of the, you know, whatever trends that come through, but really, really understanding that that, that is pivotal for all of kind of, um, our humanity to to stay connected and to use that as as a basis for our well-being yeah so it's so true isn't it and whenever i hear about yeah wellness events or even online groups that i run so often people will say that the community aspect of it is the most important thing you know being able to connect with people and i love what you shared about being accepted for who you are and not what you do i think that's so um, important in our times when it, when so much of things can be on the superficial level and actually we all need we all need that kind of level of acceptance yeah I really wanted to ask you about um, men and mental health and I know that's you know an aspect of of what you do um, what sort of things have you noticed there do you think things are changing in terms of how men are asking for help or have you seen more men come, coming to things like your your meditation groups or is there a long way to go? I, I think, I mean, the, the, the best place that I always start the conversation around men and mental health is, is, is first appreciating that everyone is uniquely themselves, right? And it's, it's really easy to first have a conversation about the, the gender divide on, on men's approach to mindfulness, wellness, mental health, uh, well-being. And I also think it's worth appreciating the fact that, the, that there are uh, so many men who are in these practices who speak quite openly. They're, they're, they're very in touch with their emotions, their feelings, their vulnerabilities. But that being said, there there has always been traditionally uh, a resistance to uh, emotional conversation and dialogue for men. There is a there's been a resistance to maybe this sense of a stereotype of how men should be. They should be quieter. They should be stronger. They should swallow emotions. They should just show up as you know the you know as as kind of this 
stereotypical way that, that men maybe appear or should be. And I think now more than ever, the conversation it has drastically shifted and it will continue to shift with the support of both men and women appreciating the fact that we don't need to uphold stereotypes. We don't need to uh, assume or expect anything, um, but actually even more, we can celebrate the, our sense of intimacy and connection across gender barriers, uh, generational barriers. Um, a lot of uh, conversations around men and mental health actually are passed down generationally as opposed to passed across the gender line of our, our parents and our grandparents and, and the older men in, in, in our families or the, the, the conversations of, of uh, 50 years ago in culture, we were breaking away from that. And it takes a lot of these newer conversations. So yes, I'm, I see a lot more men who are stepping in um, to these spaces. And it's not a new thing. I mean, I'm probably lucky in the sense I've, I've seen the, the shift and the wave of it um, maybe transform more than most people because I'm, I'm maybe on some of more of the uh, inside conversations or our communities lean that way. But for example, at our monthly meditations or our big community gatherings, I mean, you're still going to see 30, 40, 50% men there purely because um, I believe that, that we, we try to cultivate a space that is not about making it um, segregated purely by men or women, or uh, it's just treating people as people, treating people as humans and trying to remove the need for it to say, even in a situation like this, oh, you're a man, you should be talking more, you should be stepping in more, you should, you know, no, I think a lot of times right now, no one likes to be told what they should be doing, even in this, this space of development and growth, but actually really to just start to embody the practices with ourselves and inspire other people to see the value that we get. And so for me, it's about just trying to be as open and, and as vulnerable and conversational as I can be and, and inspiring, hopefully, you know, other men in our circles or communities, rather than saying you should do this and should do this. And then hopefully people just see and feel the welcome nature of the space. And, and that ultimately helps to start to break down these barriers for, for men and mental health and, and help them realize that the space is available and open uh, for them to just come as they are. Yeah, that's really interesting that you found that a lot of men go to your event. I'm really glad to hear that. I've I've quite often noticed that a lot of events or workshops or personal development things, it will be there'll be one man or something in the room. And sure. I wonder, you know, is that to do with the fact that it doesn't feel okay for them to go or um, they're worried about what people are going to think or, but it's I mean, good that you're creating yeah. that space. I mean, there's always going to be those, those elements of, you know, you got to start somewhere and, and, you know, for a lot of men, if they are interested in these topics and they're stepping into these spaces. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they'll find themselves one or two guys in a room of, of 50 people. They're going to find themselves as the minority. And I, I generally don't think that's a bad, a bad place to be because, you know, what you're really getting as a guy stepping into that space is a huge amount of awareness that you might not have had. You're giving yourself an opportunity to step outside your comfort zone, to move in a direction that you know you're interested in because you're in that room. And I mean, it's easy to let kind of uh, little bits of judgment or expectation or insecurity or awkwardness go, ooh, I'm not sure it's for me. One of the nicest things to do, I always say, is that if you are a female in a room like that, make the effort to go say hi, make the effort to make them feel like they belong, as opposed to single them out and say, oh, there's a guy here, good job, right? I mean, make them part of, of um, the conversation and really uh, have equal uh, appreciation that the effort for them to come has been just as much as the continued effort that you put in to show up to those types of things. 
Um, and so I think the evolution is really about just the continued conversations. I think for me in our community, maybe it's, maybe it's because I'm a guy, maybe because a lot of my circle of friends who are, who are men as well uh, participate in our events. And so maybe there is an easier access point. Um, but again, uh, I tend to say that all the work that's being done in wellness is beneficial for everyone. It's just about people finding the value in themselves to step into a room and really take the value as opposed to take the judgment. Totally. Love that. Love that. Can you share a little bit about, do you have any particular routines or practices that you practice uh, that help you with your mental health or things that you do for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think for me and, and everyone should have their own kind of things that they appreciate for, for their own mental health. I mean, I, I'm a massive advocate of appreciating what works for me and what doesn't. Um, you know, I have my own practices like meditation, like yoga, like getting outside, but I also have a really strong practice of um, releasing the expectations of others or maybe in the nicer way of, of not caring as much about the uh, you know, you know, the, the expectations that other people tend to, to land or put out there into the world. Um, you know, I was lucky to be raised in, in a family where it was, you know, focus on what makes you happy, focus on what works for you. Um, you know, don't worry too much about, you know, everyone else's opinions or everyone else's need to tell you how life should be. So one of the, um, you know, most dedicated practices I have is, is spending some time by myself and actually figuring out myself, uh, my opinion, my point of view, what's important rather than kind of stepping out into the world and just waiting for it to be almost given to me. And I think a lot of times we see this, especially if you kind of like work and live out in the real world, it's the idea of almost like, you know, say you have an idea and then you kind of want to, to work on your idea, whether it's a project or something for work. And then you go, okay, I'm going to gather all my friends. We're going to have a brainstorm. And then all of a sudden you go into this brainstorm with five of your friends and then everyone has a different opinion. Everyone thinks they're right. And you come out with no good ideas other than a mixed bag of ideas and everyone kind of thinking theirs is right and theirs is wrong. And, you know, and, and you kind of, you know, this whole kind of uh, designing your life for your idea by committee. Uh, I come from a, an advocacy point of take some time, have an opinion or a point of view, put yourself in a certain direction, put yourself on a certain path. And of course you're going to, you're going to change it. It'll adapt it'll evolve. You'll take influence in that's valuable, but it's important to have, you know, your own principles, your own um, compass that, that takes you through. And for me, that's a really important practice for my own mental health because it's easy to really feel the influence of, of lots of other people. And then that can kind of take me off course quite regularly if I don't have my own purpose or my own kind of direction in how I'm spending my day and my time and in my life. I think that's so powerful because I know that I've experienced this and I'm sure people listening have of not trusting yourself and then seeking reassurance or validation yeah. from other people. And then you find yourself on a path that is not where you want to be going in your life, or you're saying yeah. yes to things that you don't want to do, or you're not taking opportunities because you're worried about what people are going to think. Yeah. And actually just taking that time for yourself to connect to yourself and understand what you want, what you think, and kind of solidifying that and going on your own path rather than constantly kind of looking to other people. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you about your new podcast series, The Quiet Life, which is all about home practices. And I know that you recorded some episodes already. 
Um, but I wondered if there was anything else that has come out of that or that you recommend people do in terms of home practices um, for people that you know might be spending a lot of time at home, probably are spending still a lot of time at home yeah. when this is uh, published. Um, yeah, can you share anything around that? I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, when this whole kind of crisis happened and the world kind of went indoors, um, you know, it, well, there was no grand design for this podcast. And it was really about responding to the need to support. Um, I mean, you and I know this very well because you, you've been a guest on the podcast. And by the time you guys listen to, to, to this podcast, hopefully you would have heard Chloe's one on, on The Quiet Life. And it was really about uh, appreciating that maybe myself and a few of our friends and peers like yourself are maybe a bit more well-equipped to kind of the, these kind of moments of uncertainty by nature of the work that we do. And it was really about how can we as a community in, in the wellness community do more to support more people at home. And the whole, the whole essence of the podcast is very simple. Um, have a, a simple and easy conversation with someone who has something both um, valuable to share, whether that's educational, inspirational, a different perspective, a sense of purpose, right? Something that actually gives people a sense of connection. And then to have conversations about things that we can do at home that simply give ourselves a sense of, uh, of well-being, uh, give us our sense of grounding, give us ourselves a sense of, of feeling like we have a little bit of understanding or control in, in this time. And, you know, as I'm speaking to people across all kinds of um, different industries and categories and conversations, whether it's from a wellness, from a fitness, from a business uh, perspective, whether it's people dealing with creativity and self-care or at-home rituals and sound and aromatherapy, or people quite in the health uh, or the medical community working with um, immunology, working with um, you know medical practices, working with you know, stress and anxiety and, and all these types of things. But fundamentally, it's about how do we take all of this maybe complexity in the world and simplify it down to simple home practices. And so even in things like the most complicated conversations that, that we might have around, um, let's say, what do we need to know about our immunity in this time? It's can you actually just, you know, take a moment to lie on the floor, look at the ceiling, shift your perspective and let everything just quieten down? Or can you, you know, take a moment to actually change your relationship to, to alcohol and use the time at home right now to reset up the way that you spend time with yourself and other people and how you make conscious choices with the things that you consume. So hopefully with this podcast and, and we're, we're putting them out daily and hopefully with enough support to keep it going for as long as this period happens is to give daily little bits of inspiration, education and perspective that people can incorporate into their homes and into their lives um, right now in, in a simple and effective way for their own mind and mental health. Sounds, sounds so, so good. Are there, are there any things that you've heard recently that are some of your favorites in terms of practical home practices? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the nicest things that, that, that kind of caught me a little bit uh, off guard, which was great. I was having a, a, a conversation with um, a, a personal trainer and a, a, a fitness person um, and he was talking to me, his name, his name is Faisal or 
uh, Faisal, Mr. PMA, which a lot of people know, um, he was talking about the need, not just right now, to have physical fitness and movement while we're kind of stuck at home in a sedentary life, but to really check in on our emotional fitness, understanding this sense of actually how our emotions are keeping well in this time. Because yeah, there's one thing to move the body, to get yourself kind of up and down off the floor a few times, but really understand how resilient that, how resilient we're finding ourselves in a time like now when we're really being given a lot of of emotional stress, a lot of uncertainty, a fear, all these sense of anxieties, and our emotional resilience or our emotional fitness is just as important and equitable to how we actually look at our physical fitness, which is the easy, tangible thing. But are you spending time talking about how you feel? Are you spending time asking each other how they feel? Are you spending time really not trying to be positive 100% of the time and just appreciate the fact that right now it's natural to have an up and a down, to have a day where you feel like you're not productive, to have a day where you're really productive, right? Not ignoring these elements of how our emotions and our well-being um, actually impact our whole livelihood. So that was one really interesting thing um, through this conversation. And there's obviously so many more, but I think that one for me stood out really uh, a lot because, um, you know, as always, I was kind of uh, maybe, you know, uh, assuming that uh, the practice was going to be about just kind of getting yourself up and down out of the chair all day, but it really was about um, uh, making sure we had a really strong support to our emotional well-being. Love that. That's that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you shared. So, so interesting to hear your perspective on things and um and and yeah, your approach is really, really fascinating to me. Where can people find out more about you and what you're what you're up to? Yeah. I mean, if you're interested and you want to find out more about myself or the work that, that, that we do, um, best places to start are obviously on, on social. So on Instagram, it's just at Michael James Wong. Uh, and also on my website, which is the same thing, michaeljameswong.com. But probably even more interesting, if you check out uh, our organization for mindfulness in the real world, which focuses on Big events, not as much right now, but a lot of online resources. So that's Just Breathe. So you can follow at Just Breathe on Instagram. And the website is at justbreatheproject.com. Um, we've got lots of online content and videos. Um, there's, we have a free meditation app, which is, which is available for everyone to use at home and home practices. And of course, we've got the new podcast now, which is out and running, which is really celebrating his home practices, as well as kind of uh, a whole lot of other podcasts that, that we put out uh, across different conversations uh, in the well-being space. Amazing. I'll put all those links in the show notes for everyone as well. Thank you so much for talking to me. That was brilliant. Thanks so much, Chloe. It was great. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in iTunes subscribe to the podcast leave me a rating and is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast you can let them know by sharing this podcast I'd be so so grateful so I'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead sending you loads of love hopefully you'll tune in again and I'll see you ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.